James chapter 4. If you turn to James chapter 4. I uh, again thank Pastor for the opportunity uh, to come and preach. Many, uh, many churches don't allow that. I think it's commendable. I appreciate it. I don't take it lightly. And um, matter of fact, if anybody truly has their act together, they'd be kind of fearful of getting in a place where um, the Word of God needs to be preached uh, with accuracy, uh, with conviction, and um, with purity. But in Acts chapter 4, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Next passage, you can either turn to it or listen, but it's 1 John 2, 15-16, which is very familiar to most of us. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you now. I pray that you would use me, control my heart, control my mind, control my thoughts, control my words. May I submit to you, be with these folks that have faithfully come out, be with the folks that maybe will be here, they'll be watching by live stream. May we understand that we are living in perilous times and too many of us are taking it way too lightly. And in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. I'm going to attempt to describe the basic plot of a 2001 hit movie behind enemy lines if I remember correctly. Now, I'm not one into churches that are getting into using, even on a video, showing clips of movies as their source material to prove a point or whatever. But this basic plot that I'd like to get across is something I think is very applicable to what's taking place in Christianity today. And there's no need to remind me, or I could really care less, correct me later if I, had, if I don't get quite right, because I really don't care if that I'm that precise or accurate to this movie. It was in 2001. I saw it back in 2001, and I don't know if I've ever seen it since then. Don't know what it's rated. Do not re recommend watching it. It's gonna, don't waste your time. I wasted my time. But uh, in this movie, there's an American fighter flight officer, and the pilot of a fighter jet are out on an aerial reconnaissance mission flying over close, or flying close to a DMZ zone in the Bosnian part of Eastern Europe. 
and some activity catches the interest of the flight officer that's going on over in the DMZ. The flight officer convinces a pilot to disregard policy, protocols, and commands, and they fly off course into an area that they are not allowed to be. When they do that, they are able to witness some horrific activity taking place and also awaken the attention of, a very, of very wicked men to their presence. As a result, the enemy successfully shoots down their jet and they find themselves in enemy territory being hunted for their destruction. The pilot is quickly captured and immediately executed. The flight officer, which is the primary actor of the movie, is now on the run with little to, to no communication, help, or resources. Cut off, he must find and fight his way back to a safe location to be extracted. And it is a very hard struggle and fight to make it back, being all alone. My application as far as to this story here, this plot line, is that in contemporary Christianity today, Christians are living close to the enemy as they possibly can, believing they are not in danger. Won't be affected by the influences of the enemy, not realize or even caring what devastating long-term impact and fallout will occur within the lives of those they influence around them, such as their children, spouse, younger siblings, and other Christian brothers and sisters. Contemporary Christendom, in its zeal to reach the lost, if they even have a valid zeal, literally jump into bed with the world, using as the excuse that we must be more relatable to reach them with their style of dress, conduct, appearance, in the appearance I'm referring to, the hairstyles and makeup, jewelry, body, face and body piercings, and it staggers me that real Christians are willingly getting tattoos. The Bible is very explicit and clear in relation to that. It's also very explicit and clear that our body's not our own. We're bought with a price. We do not belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus Christ. And we do not have the freedom to just do whatever we feel like doing. Using as the excuse, my freedom in Christ. Which is the common thread and theme of living the way I want to live as a Christian. And that's woefully against so many scriptures about how we should live and how we're expected to live. The lack, continuing on, as far as wanting to be relatable to reach them, that there is a lack of modesty by the men and women, especially in the church service, style and type of music, movies, speech, and a general overall lack of true biblical holiness and separation and sacrificial living of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And God has emphatically said that the world is the enemy of God. And we just read James 4, 4, and whether we like it or not, if you examine it again, it clearly states that if you are a friend of the world, you are the enemy of God. Try to grasp that concept. I was reading that verse a couple weeks, two, three, four weeks ago, 
and I'm staring at it, meditating, like we, well, like we were talking about this morning, meditating on passages of Scripture, and I've done more meditating here in the last two, three months when I'm reading through my Bible, when I come across a verse and I'm staring at it like I've seen it for the first time, though I may have read it numerous times in years past, and I'm meditating on it and I said, is it really saying what it's saying? Anyone that is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Please do not deceive yourself or try to offend me by telling me that we must love the lost. How is it that Christians must act and look just like the lost they are trying to win and there is hardly any recognizable difference between how the lost and the Christian looks? Two people chatting together, one is lost and the other is a born-again child of God. I'm, I'm talking about sincere, a real born-again. I'm not talking about who says they're a Christian. I mean, I work with a number of people that say they're a Christian, and they're the, I mean, it's like, you can't be serious. I work with a Christian that I believe is born again, and it's like, seriously? How they are dressed when they're standing there in a church service, you're trying to say, are they, uh, uh, let me put it a different way, because somebody might not understand what this terminology is now that I think about it. I know detective friend back there readily grasp it. Are they a member of a gang? Is how they're dressed. Are they both streetwalkers? Are they both witches? Is that how they color their hair? Are they both acid rock music stars? Is that how they look? Hard to tell them apart because of how they appear and present themselves. We must love the world as it relates to the people of the world like God loves the world in John 3.16. We are to love their lost souls, but nothing else about the people of the world we are to love. Matthew 26.24 and Luke 16.13 both record the exact same words of the statement that was made by Jesus Christ, which says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Noah Webster defines mammon, noun, which is a noun, riches, wealth, or the God of riches. Cross-reference that with 1 Timothy 1, 6-10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we, are, for we brought nothing into this world. We're talking about the physical aspect because you can definitely take things out of this world. Nothing physical, but hopefully you sent on a lot ahead spiritually, eternal. So we're talking about the physical dimension of life. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich, and before I uh, continue that, i get familiar with this thing. They that will be rich, cross-reference that with Proverbs 23.4, labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. So we've got the command that we're not to be laboring to be rich. Continuing on, 
But they that will be rich fall, uh, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some covet after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. In this movie that I referenced, Behind Enemy Lines, there is what is called a DMZ. And for those that are not familiar with what a DMZ is, it's the initials for Demilitarized Zone. It is a non-combat or active aggression buffer between two enemies and opposing forces. So you have one enemy here, one enemy here, and then there's this buffer zone in the middle that's called a DMZ, Demilitarized Zone. In this demilitarized zone, these two airmen intentionally chose to enter, which was a forbidden area for them to be in, and it turned out to cause death, much heartache, anguish, and major problems for many people. There's another term in the Bible for this DMZ. Got an idea what it is? I'll give you a really big hit. Okay, what is What's that? No, if we get to that point, it's like there's no return from that one. There is a biblical term for this DMV, demilitarized zone. Give you a big hint. It makes God vomit. Lukewarmness. Think about it. In a lukewarm state, there's no combat going on. Satan's not messing with you because he already knows your life, the condition of your life causes God to be sick, and so you're not effective. You're not a threat to him. He's not going to bother you, and God's not going to bother because he can't use you. He's over in the, I don't know, I say he's over in the corner, but he, he's, he's very brokenhearted with the condition that we may be living in as far as lukewarmness. And it's a demilitarized zone where we can't, as soldiers of Jesus Christ, be effective in combat. You can turn to it or just listen, but it's Revelation 3, 14 through 17. When a Christian is lukewarm, or a church that has a great, biblically defined statement of faith is lukewarm, we know it makes God sick. And it's describing a church that's in Laodicea. As we study the Bible and the history of the church of Jesus Christ here on earth for the last 2,000 years now, we can clearly see that the description of this Laodicean church fits exactly in the condition of the period of church history that we are presently living in. Revelation 3, 14 through 17 says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I have been here in this point for so many times, the majority of my life. And there's no doubt in my mind, 
that a good description of majority of all Christians in this period of time that we live in is Laodiceans. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and especially Christians in America. Because we are rich compared to the majority of other Christians in the world. We are mega rich compared to Christians in China that are being killed or really persecuted. And other Christians otherwhere else in other, in other countries. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And we're talking about a spiritual condition. A spiritual condition. And the passage goes on to describe as far as how a person can get out of that state that uh, the angel goes on to write about. There are great benefits of fighting the good fight of faith in God's army, on God's side of this battle. A tough and vicious battle that has been raging for the last 6,000 years between God and Satan over who will rule and reign in the hearts and minds of humanity on this earth. So many times when we are focused on me, myself, and I, we lose sight of the bigger picture that we are in a war. We are to be warriors, equipped with the equipment that God has provided, and too often we begin to think that we can handle the daily Christian life and in turn become very careless. The story of the prodigal son is a great example that can, that I know it can be applied in, in, in different ways, but of the state of Christianity today. The condition and status of most Christians today is the desire of going off to live their life by their own will and way away from God the Father in heaven and become completely useless and ineffective. Only when they repent, return, and submit can they begin to live their lives as God requires of his born-again children. There's a hymn in our hymnal that I was looking at the Onward Christian Soldiers and came across this other hymn that I, that I was reading. Was, I Am I a Soldier of the Cross? Page 571. And uh, it's, it, it just, it's asking the question, are we engaged in battle? Are we doing the battle? Now, that was pretty much just the introduction. Let me go ahead and get into four points. They should go really fast, hopefully. You can you never really trust a preacher. What can I say? Four tactical points of why we should continually avoid ever being in the DMZ of lukewarmness. Because the truth be told, too many, if not most of us, are attempting to serve God while living day in and day out completely content with being double agents. Meaning, Living life with divided loyalties. Living the Christian life within the borders of the DMZ of lukewarmness creates a, a lack of communication for effective Christian combat. This flight officer is running all over the countryside and he has no communication. He's out there lost. And when we're in a lukewarm state, 
the communications with God are, well, until we repent and get serious and broken and humbled, it's going to be very lacking. It lacks effective communication for the supernatural resources that we have available. When God is sick because of our intentional willingness to wander through life in the DMZ, how effective is open communication going to be? One thing that always kind of stunned me, you, you all will probably relate to it or remember it for the most part. Remember after 9-11, the question was, where was God? Where was God? And it's like, you know, you're, you're like what? Anybody that understands the word of God and understands the condition of America, it's like, where is God? You've kicked him out of everything. He's not the center of anything. As a nation, we don't fear him. How and why did God allow this to happen? When things continually go wrong, what has been the condition of effective communication in our lives with God? How often do we ensure our communication line is in excellent condition with our military commander, Jesus Christ? Do we check it every day? About, oh, I'll tell you when it was. The, the, this Tuesday I'm beginning midnight shift. And the last time I worked midnight shift here was about a month or so ago. And this midnight shift coming up was, they flipped my evening shift to it because we're so short-staffed. They're cycling you into midnight slot off more quicker. But uh, that day before starting that evening shift that night at 9 o'clock, I was, for the first time in a long time, actually washed my car and was cleaning it out and organized a little bit better and, you know, kind of dusting around the radio system and all and uh, around the seat there of my cruiser. And there's a button there that's concealed hidden away that they install, intentionally install there at the State Police Headquarters, uh, which is a panic button. You know, if somebody's in your car and all of a sudden you, you just put your hand down and hit that button. It's like, you know, I get a bank and these other places where you got this panic button you can hit. Well, there's one there. And I'm looking at it and it's like, you know, I've never checked that out to see if it works since I've been issued this car. That's not good. Well, I'm not going to check it out then because everybody's going to have a heart attack. So, but when I marked on that night, I got on the radio and said, Richmond, I'm going to go ahead and uh, do an a emergency check. So 10-4, so I hit the button. Working good. Outstanding. And so I'm assuming still work. But it's like, uh, it's like hey, where are at? Well, you know, do we... Make sure that our communication is effective and right and willing because we are in a war. We are in a war. Living the Christian life within the borders of the DMZ of lukewarmness creates a B, secondly, lack of companions experienced in Christian combat. Fellowship with other soldiers. Good Christian soldiers worth fighting alongside won't be there with you because good Christian soldiers are not lukewarm. None of them are. 
Young Christian soldiers are also wanting and needing to be active in Christian warfare. But how many times over the years their zeal has been shattered and their fire for God has been extinguished by older Christians out of the fight. Good Christians on fire and hot for the things of God are not in the DMZ. They are fighting daily the good fight of faith. Ephesians 6 describes all the combat, clothing, weapons, and preparedness that God has provided and is required of a warrior in God's army. One of the greatest assets of our lives is to continually have other soldiers that know all about the armor and tactics to be there to help you. It's critical to be in church. It's just... I mean, if, if I go on a call, I don't want to go by myself. I want other guys there. And it's a matter of when we're living in this life, being in church is so crucial. Living the Christian life within the borders of the DMZ of lukewarmness creates a thirdly lack of courage for energetic Christian combat boldness to fight on in a lukewarm state the holy ghost is not empowered within you and therefore your zeal and tenacity are non-existent it is very evident if there is a failure to witness and tell others the gospel if we've heard it once i've at least heard it probably 50 times since i've been here at this church Pastor states, God saved you and left you here on this earth for a reason. And it's to bring others to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I think we touched on it earlier. I know Josh was talking about a book that he read that somebody wrote about the one thing in heaven we can't do, which we're probably going to wish we did more of when we get there is to tell people about Jesus Christ so they don't go to hell. Living the Christian life within the borders of the DMZ of lukewarmness creates, as I said, the first thing was a lack of communication for effective Christian combat, lack of companions experience in the Christian combat, lack of courage for energetic Christian combat, and then fourthly, lack of calm within exacting Christian combat. Because sometimes... The Christian warfare can be extremely intense. The pastor preached about it this morning. Combat is very exact and intense, and to do it without God with you and other faithful Christian warriors causes fear, trepidation, and anxiety. Psalms 119, 165. Great peace. Have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. That's a law. You know, when we're talking about that shall word, nothing shall offend them. Now, the greater things, it's not, it's not a matter of, it's, it's, we, as Christians, we can't be, be, be offended by something that's very disgusting. It's talking about nothing will cause me to turn my back on God. I touched about it this morning. All right. 
one thing about the life of David, even though he, he committed some horrendous sins, one thing about the life of David, he loved the Word of God. And he stretched out for how long in prayer and fasting over his baby, seeking God's face not to take him. And God took him. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And David was a perfect example to where when he was told babies died, he gets up, okay, I'll see him later. And it caused him to turn his back on God. 2 Timothy 2.3, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We will know and have peace that when things get hard, it is expected, especially being a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Just simply concluding with, if we are not actively on fire in our relationship with Jesus Christ, because how did God describe that there as far as the Laodicean condition? Hot, cold, lukewarm. So the condition that God wants us in is hot, on fire. If we are not actively on fire in our relationship with Jesus Christ, on fire in our local church, the Holy Ghost, we claim, I hope, led us to, witnessing for Jesus Christ, etc., we are simply living in a DMZ of lukewarmness, not in combat. And um, it's important to be in a good church, on fire. One thing that's just amazed me in Christianity today is the attitude that I can be okay with God, I can serve God, I can live for God, and, and not be faithfully committed into a local New Testament church. Because that is the system that Jesus Christ established to get the, His work done here on earth. And it's not a matter of just kind of going out and doing our own thing over here. But um, it's very important. It's hard to be passionate about the things of God, to be real, when you don't live what you claim to believe. When it's not real in your life, when you're not faithfully putting Jesus Christ first every day. First thing in the morning, pray, God, help me with my heart, my mind, my thoughts. I want them to be clear every single, throughout the day. There's things I see that I wish I didn't see, but it's a different story when it's not your choice. But when it's your choice, be careful with your eye gate is allowed to look at because it will put thoughts in there that it's only by the grace of God in cleansing 
from the Word of God, faithful cleansing that can start getting rid of them. It's important. Dear Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor. Thank you for his life. Lord, I pray that every one of us would be faithful to be praying for him, for Becca and his children. Lord, may we continue to have a heart for you and to grow and uh, be on fire for you. And in Jesus Christ, holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you would stand at your seat with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I have a time of invitation here in just a minute. But what a reminder that, uh, boy, it's exactly what we talked about this morning. The devil wants to get you into that zone where you think you're being effective, but God can't use you in that, in that lukewarmness, that lukewarm state. And it's so important that, um, that we pay attention to that and that we're making sure that we're not in that lukewarm spot because that's where God can't use us. We'll pray and then the piano will play and we'll have an invitation. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for the message tonight. I pray that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. As the piano plays, the invitation is open. You can come.